The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So our time of waiting is over. Christ's advent has come. Christ has arrived on the scene in our story. And today we celebrate an event that has changed the world forever. And news this big must be announced in a special way. The arrival of something so important cannot go unnoticed, especially when it has been so long awaited. Imagine the special welcome. Imagine the fantastic party that will happen when the Leafs bring the Stanley Cup back to Toronto. Talk about long-awaited, greatly expected. The streets, of young, the, the streets of Toronto will never be the same. Everyone will remember that day. It will go down as the new 1967. And the birth of Jesus is far greater than the arrival of Lord Stanley. And such an arrival of such an important, long-expected, key figure of history cannot go unmarked. And so, in our Gospel reading this morning, in Luke, we see that this is the case. A very special announcement to very special guests about a very special Savior. And when we look at this story, we can look at who brings the message to whom and why. So what of the messengers? We see that an angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds who are keeping watch over at night. They come and they bring the glory of the Lord, and the shepherds were terrified. Now angels are these fantastic, terrifying beings. One alone is frightening enough. We see all throughout Scripture the appearance of an angel usually brings the person that they are meeting to their knees, if not completely on their face. To be in the presence of one angel is utterly terrifying. But our scripture today talks about a great company, a heavenly host, more than one. But I find that in this particular narrative, we might have a different picture of what these angels are than what they actually are supposed to be. So Jonathan, if you could throw up that first picture for me. This is a a painting by Govert Flink, a Renaissance painter in uh, the Netherlands, and I think this is an image that comes to our minds most often when we think of the angels announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds. The angels are delicate, soft figures. Some of them seem especially soft around the middle. These chubby little babies floating in the sky, perhaps plucking on their harps, singing a gentle tune. Me and my siblings used to watch uh, an animated movie of this event, and whether it's due to budgetary reasons or just a different uh, perspective, the stars would simply twinkle in the sky as the angels would sing. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. And I wonder if we're doing the angels and the importance of this message, the importance of this event, a disservice by picturing him in, in such a delicate fashion. Because while our translation reads a great company of the heavenly hosts, you'll have to permit me a little bit of teaching on Greek. And I know school is out, kids, but just hang out with me for a sec. So in the Greek, it reads plethios stratios urano, which means a vast army of heaven. 
And so we begin to see a different picture. For when we imagine an army of heaven, we might not imagine little infants in white claws with delicate little wings. I want to play for you a movie clip from one of the greatest films of all time that I think better captures the sense of what this army might have looked like and perhaps even sounded like on that night that Jesus was born. So if you could go ahead and play us that, Jonathan, that'd be great. Hey, Take your outer down the left flank. Gambling, follow the king's banner down the center. Remote, take your company right after you pass the wall. Forth, and fear no darkness. Arise, arise, riders of Satan. Spears shall be shaken. Shields shall be splintered. A sword day, a red day, and the sun rises. goosebumps every time I watch that segment. It's a far cry from Govert Flink's painting. A vast army of heaven arrayed in all their weaponry and armor, perhaps not playing delicate harps, but sounding large horns, shouting in unison, because this is, this is an invasion. The coming of Christ is a breakthrough of heaven onto earth, because the angels they celebrate their king, one born of the line of David in the kingly city of Bethlehem. It is an amazing display of the power that Jesus commands in heaven. Contrasted against the Roman occupation, which Luke is certain to remind us of throughout his gospel. For when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, his disciples were worried, but he says, could I not call down 12 legions of angels? Twelve legions represented half the power of the Roman military might of that time. But this is an army that, unlike the Rohirrim, it does not herald death. They are not there shouting conquest and oppression, death and glory. Instead, this is an army, the great power of heaven coming together at the beginning of an invasion of earth. And they shout peace peace on earth to those with whom his favor rests. This is not a violent invasion. This is not an invasion that results in the death and destruction of so many. This is a breakthrough of peace. 
Christ's power, Christ's authority, all the might that he wields comes to one end. Peace on earth. So this dramatic display of power, this dramatic army that comes to herald the birth of their king, it's told to shepherds. Shepherds being at the bottom of society in terms of power and wealth, individuals that are not even afforded a good night's rest inside, but must sit out and keep watch over their flocks night after night, spending months at a time in isolation far away. It is not the elite, it is not the wealthy, it is not the powerful that are given this good news first, that are greeted by all the powers of heaven. It is the lowest of the low. Which is beginning to fulfill what Mary sang in her song that we looked at this past Sunday. That God will lift up the poor and humble the mighty. And this is why he comes to us as a baby. Why Jesus Christ enthroned in power in heaven with a vast army at his command, humbles himself and enters the world weak, helpless, fully dependent on his mother for everything that he needs. And so that this baby, the one who will become the savior of the world, will grow up just like each and every one of us, experiencing the full range of human life and emotions. As he grows up, he can identify with children, with the joys and the wonder, with the struggle and the uncertainty. He can identify with the angst and anxiety of teenagers as they begin to make their way into the adult world, and with the full range of what it means to be an adult, engaging with family, work, life, community, the joys, the pains, the sorrows, the celebrations. There is nothing that Jesus does not understand from each and every one of us. And what's more, he was also poor, born into absolute poverty. Throughout his ministry, he was homeless. Foxes have their dens, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was hated. He was oppressed. So much so that he was beaten and crucified. This is a king for the lost, for the oppressed, for the marginalized, for men, for women, for children, for those on the outside, for those on the low end of society, for those that feel that there is nothing good for them in this world. This is who this king came to be. Step down, humbling himself for you, for me. And this is the promise of salvation that is being fulfilled, but not, of course, in this way that anyone would expect we would expect a king with a vast heavenly army to break through, to sweep out the forces of evil and to liberate us. But Christ does not come to conquer through force, but by laying down his life. The only way that Jesus can bring peace is not through violence, but through his own death. A peace born of God's deep love for us. For we read in 1 John 4, 9 about this mission of love. This is not a mission of conquest, but of God's great and divine love. For John writes, this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Graham Cole writes that if we want to know what divine loves in our sort of world, 
in our sort of world being one filled with complete brokenness, homelessness, racism, sexism, environmental degradation, oppression, violence, so much sadness and death and sickness. Graham Cole says that if we want to know what divine love is in our sort of world and the evidence for it, we tell the story of the incarnation and atonement, Christmas and Easter. As we look around our world and we expect great deliverance from all our suffering, we wonder, does God truly love us if he allows things to go this far, knowing the power that he has in heaven? We tell the story of this day. We tell the story of a God who humbled himself to walk among us, to live, to grow, and ultimately lay his life down for us. Today, we have looked a bit at the story of Easter. I'd like to invite the musicians up to prepare to lead us in a response in song. And after that song, Pastor Hayden is going to help us uh, walk through the story of Easter. For these two events are so closely linked that we cannot separate them. And so as we think about what Christmas means, as we think about what Easter means, it's about a mission of peace born out of God's intense love for each and every one of us, for the whole created world. This is the good news of great joy that we are invited to share. So brothers and sisters in Christ, I would invite you to come and to stand and join your hearts together in song to this great message of divine love in preparation for coming to the table. Let us sing.